0: Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting to you across the globe principally on Saga 960 a.m. Saga 960 a.m.CA you guys can stream there and the big talker 1067 FM in Wilmington North Carolina. It's a very busy busy week plenty going on. I know your your ears are attuned to what you're listening on the radio. you want to hear the best news and analysis on all consumer topics and that's why you're here at Consumer Choice Radio. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting from the home studio, looking out at uh, some nice greenery that spring has brought us, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty colleague at David Clement, who's sitting over there in Toronto, hopefully got a taste of spring as well. David, how goes it? Yeah, the weather's getting nice,
1: weather's getting nice, so excited for another show. We have a great guest coming up, um, so stay tuned for that interview, talking about the um, some very important public health topics but uh i mean we have we have to start the show here by talking about the fact that the boat the the ever given is now unstuck from the suez canal and that disaster has been averted have Uh, you
0: ever given you ever given more thought to the suez canal than in the last (laughs) week david
1: no i have not i don't i bet you if you polled most north americans and asked them where the suez canal how many what percentage of people do you think would get it right
0: have we bombed that yet no yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, uh yeah the, the number would be very very low um yeah suez yeah i don't know could be a thing down there in latin america not really sure
1: yeah yeah i don't think the number would be very high but um good news the boat is free um there was actually a fun uh, fun little interactive game. I think it was CNN. Um, they released and it was it was a game you had you did with your, your arrows on your keyboard. Um, that, that uh, allowed for you to try and navigate the Suez Canal to show how difficult it was. <laughs> so I actually did it a couple times and of course I crashed. because um, it's not just
0: like to... Microsoft Flight Simulator. But uh, in this case, you're in the Suez Canal. <laughs> you're the pilot or, you know, you're the tugboat. Yep. I did see the best meme I saw, because that's really what we're all about is the memes, oh, yeah. um, was the one where they would tie one rope to the front, one to the back. On one bank, you'd have a Ford pickup, and on yeah. the other, you'd have a Chevy pickup. And it'd be the <laughs> ultimate battle of, of tow pickup trucks. <laughs>
1: that would have made for a great, like... Ram commercial or or like Ford versus Dodge
0: who wins I mean I'm I'm actually disappointed in the uh, PR folks over there at those companies it was prime opportunity the memes are there uh, maybe it's a, it's another signal that you guys need to invest a little bit in uh, some of your social media people uh, so they can keep track of this stuff cuz they yeah. know the memes oh yeah so yeah that that was that's great uh, there was a lot of discussion even last week when we discussed it David about potential ramifications. Uh, there are actually a couple people that I know now personally uh, who work at various companies and had uh, various products or source materials that were on that ship uh, that got slowed down, which uh, is yep. not reassuring. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Man, where, when are we going to get you know this material we've been waiting on for three months out of China uh, coming finally to our shores? Uh, so that that's kind of interesting. And I know whatever the price tag was, 400 million an hour or something like this, or a day. I don't even know. Uh, but yeah, luckily, uh, the local crews took care of it. The yes, uh, Egyptians, they you know, maybe they've, they've polished off a little bit of their reputation, uh, but definitely something that, uh, impacts a, a lot of people and, uh, not just those who are now subscribing to all these boat tracking apps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to see like the congestion build up in, the uh... The entryway where you're just starting to see all of these boats essentially just wait, but uh, yeah, that was good. We had other other good news um, coming out of the the great state of New York with their not so great governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, as of this week, New York State has officially legalized adult use cannabis. Um, ding ding ding! Yeah, so great move there from New York happy to see that happy to see that they the state will no longer be harassing and arresting people for possession Um, and then we'll see we'll have to wait and see what their actual framework looks like for retail and how they're going to sell it hopefully they go private um, private stores and uncapped meaning there's no cap on the amount of stores that they can have because that really is part of the key of making legalization a success but um, time yeah, will still tell I, whether or not they're going to go that route.
0: I would hope that uh, much of the Cuomo administration or the Democratic lawmakers—let's admit it—it it is mostly the supermajority of Democrats there in the state uh, legislature. Uh, hopefully, they've been uh, looking at our site, consumerchoiceradio.com, consumerchoicecenter.org. David and I have been writing about many of the different legalization schemes throughout North America. David, you've been featured in in much of the conversation in Ontario and various uh, fixes uh, that have helped consumers and that have been very important, and a lot of things that are obviously overlooked when you're, you know, tilting towards cannabis legalization. There's been some debate over various parts of the regulation on caps of stores, as you mentioned, uh, whether they should privatize, whether it should be a state industry. I would hope it would not be an empire uh, empire state industries or something like that. They would actually have competition. I would think so. New York, as we know, is financial capital of the world. Uh, if they do go the state monopoly route, that would be a huge, a huge mistake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would, yeah, it'd be a disaster. And and the thing is the reason why it's important to bring in the private market is that you want to spread out the benefits of legalization as much as possible. Um, That's one of the biggest criticisms of some of the provinces here in Canada is that they legalized and yeah, it's great that they're not arresting people for cannabis anymore. But in some provinces, the only retailer is the government run store. Um, And so minus the handful of people who work at these stores, the benefits are not kind of spread out throughout the economy where in a system where you have private stores you have entrepreneurs entering the space there's some creativity there's competition which obviously benefits consumers because they're competing for your business so uh knock on wood hopefully they they go the private route uh, as opposed to the big government route but uh, time will tell and i'm sure if they make bad decisions along the way you and i are going to be beating the drum for smart uh, smart cannabis policy
0: yeah there's uh Probably there's going to be a little bit of debate over the equity arguments. That is something that is uh, basically chiefly North American at this point, and uh, more focused in New York and some of these uh, northeastern states that are pondering uh, legalization is equity, who's allowed to have a license, to have a store, who can grow it. Uh, Apparently, what I I really like about this bill— Um, At the beginning, you know, we haven't done the full analysis, but I really like about it is essentially possession is now legal immediately. Uh, There is actually uh, Representative Jerry Nadler. Is it Jerry Nadler? I think that's his name. Uh, Fellow there from New York State. He's in the Congress. He was saying, actually, no, this doesn't go until 2022. And uh, a couple of reporters there on Twitter had to correct him. Good, because uh, yeah, because uh, you know, if, if there is any any kind of indication of law enforcement that they can still arrest people uh, for uh, this now you know legal product, uh, that that'd be a that'd be a big issue. I know that was a big issue in the early days of Canadian legalization, and you know, just in the couple of hours right before right after legalization, you did have people who were still being arrested.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's, it's good that that is getting corrected and they're hopefully not going to continue to make some of those silly decisions. But um, So
0: speaking of silly decisions, David, <laughs> or uh-oh. smart decision, uh, there's one I wanted to, to bring up because I think it's pertinent. You mentioned a few shows ago that there is a, or was a proposed Amazon warehouse there in your neck of the woods. Yes. And this is something that is coming up uh, in the state of Alabama. Uh, there is an Amazon warehouse that is, uh, seems to be the epicenter now of uh, large union organization efforts. Uh, there's actually a vote on whether or not the workforce there will unionize. I don't think the vote has happened yet, but I think it's pretty imminent. Sometime this week, I, I don't know exactly exactly when, but this is the full force of the labor movement and people who are against uh, unionization. And there are a lot of people on both sides, people on staff, uh, obviously, who work there, but also people flying in from around the country and uh, all over the world to try to push one side or the other. It's really interesting, Davia, but I'm wondering your kind of thoughts on that. If we have, you know, on the point of view of a consumer, does it matter to you if an Amazon warehouse or a, you know, whatever warehouse for whatever product, does it matter for you if it is unionized? Is that something that... We should care about, or what mm-hmm. do you think an impact would be on that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, traditionally speaking, um, union un- a, a union atmosphere in that type of scenario would likely mean increased uh, labor costs, just because they collectively bargain, which is the point. Um, so there could be a negative there f- from a consumer view viewpoint if prices increase as a result. That being said, Amazon is particularly good at being efficient. Um, I think it raises a bigger question of, so Amazon already pays well beyond what some of the federal minimum wage proposals would be. Um, so they already they already um, pay much higher than the, uh, the otherwise market rate, especially for somewhere like Alabama. Uh, So that makes some of the questions about unionization strange, because it's not necessarily like you have all of these underpaid employees, um, per se, that would maybe drive the the case for unionization. But then the bigger question is, is, should you have to be in a union? So I have no issue with people collectively bargaining. I have no people with no issue with groups of people creating a union. But what if you don't want to be in the union? I'm interested to hear what your take is here like if we if you were there and you didn't want to be in the union and they vote for a union should you be able to not be part of the collective bargaining unit and negotiate your salary and your terms independently um, some people really really like that idea some people really really hate it but uh, I think the required union membership is is always a puzzling one for me
0: well in Alabama so they they are a right-to-work state, uh, meaning that you're not required to be a member of a union in order to have a particular job. So they do have that enshrined, and actually enshrined in their constitution. Uh, they actually had a vote on it about five, six years ago that put it in the Alabama constitution that they are a right-to-work state. So that is, is kind of interesting. Again, yeah. as someone who grew up in the South, you know, we don't necessarily have the largest union presence uh, it's something that tends to be bigger in the Northeast or in California, Illinois, uh, definitely Ontario and Quebec. I mean, the unions there kind of run everything. So it's not not very similar, you know you can't really say that. And it is interesting, as you mentioned, that it is Amazon that's being targeted as sort of numero uno placed for this labor battle because as you mentioned, Amazon actually pays much higher rates and has like this this standard of $15 an hour that they have put in across all of their different locations. And, you know, it seems as if this is not the target you want to go after. I mean, there's there's all kinds of other arguments you can make in, in different areas. I think yep. from my point of view, I, I think you'd probably agree with that. You know, just having a union is not problematic. If people want to uh, organize and freely associate and, and mm-hmm. try to negotiate or do whatever, free yep. to do so. Um, definitely you should not impose that membership or dues which is the really important part on other people because then these dues everything becomes very political and then just essentially you have this interior bureaucracy that is somehow uh, actually more interested in stopping work or more restrictions and this kind of stuff really uh, kind of clogs up the wheels so they're free to have it but uh, it really doesn't make sense I think in the Amazon
1: Um, That said, I know we're heading to commercial break. We have a great guest uh, coming up, Dr. Henry Miller. Um, So please stay tuned for that. And we'll be right back to you on Consumer Choice Radio uh, shortly after this commercial break.
0: And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 and the Big Talker 1067 FM. We are joined by Dr. Henry Miller, a physician and molecular biologist. He's also a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute. He's a 15-year veteran of the FDA, where he was the founding director of the agency's Office of Biotechnology. Dr. Miller, thanks so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio.
2: Delighted to be with you. Thanks.
0: And we wanted to get you on because we've got a couple of articles that you've written. And of course, uh, your uh, writing profile is all across the net. Uh, There's great writing that many people have been able to read. We'll put those in the show notes uh, for some of our listeners. Uh, But we had one that I I believe is very pertinent. Uh, We're dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, We're dealing with a brand new Biden administration. And there's a lot of questions being asked about who's going to fill which position. And you have an article here about the shortlist list for FDA commissioner. Tell us some of your thoughts on uh, who might slide into their role, perhaps what some of the topics that they'll cover will be and uh, the kind of direction of a public health policy going forward in the United States.
2: Sure, Um, the the two front runners uh, for FDA commissioner, the head of the agency uh, at this point seem to be uh, Dr. Janet Woodcock, a long time, very long time, civil servant at the FDA, and Dr. Joshua Sharpstein, who was briefly uh, FDA deputy commissioner in a previous administration, and is a former um, head of public health for the city of Baltimore. And um, they're they're both qualified uh, by resume for heading the FDA, but but both have problems, and neither is likely to uh, preside over the kinds of reforms that are needed at uh, this very, very important uh, consumer safety agency. The FDA uh, has jurisdiction over some 20 cents of every consumer dollar, uh, ranging from uh, foods and food additives to medical devices, drugs and vaccines, and uh, other biological products uh and uh, even of tobacco over tobacco products uh such as vaping uh devices and and uh pods so <clears throat> a very very important job a very important agency uh, but it's an agency that has had problems in recent years and even in recent decades um the the agency uh, the agency's day-to-day uh, evaluation and approval of products and policy making occurs primarily at the various centers within the agency, which are pretty much autonomous so there's the Center for drugs, the Center for biologics, which includes uh, cellular products and, and vaccines. Uh, the Center for medical devices and radiological health, so that would include <clears throat> such things as diagnostic tests and uh, stents and uh, catheters, but also uh, large-scale diagnostic uh, equipment like MRI machines and CAT scanners and so on. Uh, and for historical reasons, uh, because they uh, produce radiation, it even includes uh, microwave ovens, interestingly. Uh, and then there's the, the center that does uh, vaping products and, and and on and on. And again, these are largely autonomous and make regulatory decisions pretty much by themselves. And yet the agency has become extremely top heavy. So if one looks at the organizational chart of FDA, there are a lot of blocks, boxes uh, near the top uh, that, that, uh, that deal with uh, all sorts of largely, in my opinion, largely extraneous things. Um, <clears throat> so the, uh, the FDA has a tendency to regulate more and more expansively. As former FDA Commissioner Frank Young used to quip, quip dogs bark, cows moo, and regulators regulate. And um, <laughs> consistent with with that propensity the FDA often exceeds its congressional mandate. So regulators uh, over the years have concocted additional criteria for marketing approval of, say, a new drug beyond the statutory requirements, uh, which are the demonstration of safety and efficacy. Uh, And uh, those additional requirements uh, that FDA has concocted are such things as superiority, to products that are already on the market, <clears throat> which is uh, both um, uh, extra uh, statutory and also uh, at times injurious to uh, consumers, to patients, and mm-hmm. also to ph- pharmaceutical companies.
1: On, on that note of, of that kind of delay being, uh, having co- consequences for patients or consumers, one argument that um, that I, I know I've certainly made here in Canada is the idea of reciprocity and approval. So establishing establishing a precedent where a agency like Public Health Canada or the FDA would recognize, uh, by virtue of reciprocity, drugs or vaccines or treatments or uh, equipment that are already approved in countries that meet a certain standard, so whether it be the EU, Public Health England, et cetera, do you think that there's room for reform in the FDA to streamline approval processes in that way? Or is there just too much resistance to that type of overhaul?
2: Well, that's an excellent example of of the kind of reform that we need. But um, my, My answering machine is just going off, excuse me. Um, uh, It's exactly the kind of um, institutional reform that we need, and I, with my colleagues, have written about this many times. As you say, uh, there could and should be reciprocity of approval uh, among what I consider the A-list of regulatory agencies. Uh, Those in Canada, the UK, uh, the European Union, Australia, and New Zealand for example, so that an approval in one of the by one of those uh, regulatory agencies would then be um, automatically applicable to the others, with maybe a a short 30 day or 60 day delay, in order that the labeling uh, could be made consistent with each country's uh, requirements. Um, So, and in the US, that would be a particular uh, asset or would have been a particular asset in certain uh, circumstances, so, for example, FDA delayed the approval of a meningitis B um, and meningitis B vaccine. Um, unduly for quite a long time. Um, after it was approved elsewhere. Um Possibly the most egregious example was a uh, product a drug called perfenodone, which is used to treat a lung disorder called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis Uh, it used to kill tens of thousands of americans annually uh, and the, the fda unnecessarily delayed approval long long after it was approved in europe japan canada and china and during that hiatus in approval uh, more than 150,000 patients died of IPF in the US, many of whom could have benefited from the drug. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, that would have several advantages. It would speed approvals. Uh, it would get products onto the, into the marketplace more quickly. And also by virtue of having more drugs uh, approved it would put downward pressure on drug prices, which has been a, uh, a, a problem in the US in particular.
0: You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Henry Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at Henry I. Miller. And we'll also link to some of his articles. Um, another one that we came across uh, has to do with smarter approaches to health. Uh, it seems as if we've been in a, a constant conversation the past year about best practices for health. A lot of people have gotten all kinds of top-down information, uh, but you actually put forward in this article that there are ways that people can improve their public health uh, actually at home with uh, something as simple as uh, sugar-free chewing gum, uh, not just the mass, not just avoiding indoor crowds, but actually chewing on something uh, would make us feel better. Could you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, uh, the article that you're alluding to was was part of a uh, an analysis of the ways that we can address uh, the coronavirus pandemic. So there are uh, areas of uh, personal responsibility and shared responsibility and government intervention. And so personal responsibilities are such things as uh, physical distancing, wearing masks, avoiding crowds and in indoor venues, and so on that we can do as individuals. Uh, And then there are shared responsibilities such as uh, schools or businesses uh, having adequate ventilation in order that uh, air is circulated and dilutes out any virus that might be present and dilutes it to uh, a less than infectious dose. Uh, And then there are things that of course the government can do such as uh instituting uh, testing and contact tracing and uh and then the more heavy handed interventions uh like lockdowns and uh and so on um one of the unobvious for me at least uh, until I began to look into this, one of the really unobvious individual interventions that uh that seems to have promise is chewing sugar-free gum. Uh, Now, how how could that be? Well, um, there are several ways. Um, Chewing gum uh, elicits um, saliva production and saliva has both antiviral and antibacterial properties. Uh, And um, aside from the antiviral properties, because we don't know yet whether uh, it it has activity against uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, it it certainly has um, uh, anti-bacterial uh, properties, which uh, prevents dental caries, that is cavities, uh, and and by doing that, um, we reduce the incidence of uh, of gum disease and other things, which is particularly important during a time. When many people have neglected regular dental checkups and and uh, dental care, um, so um, that's that's one way that uh, that chewing gum is beneficial. The other, another way, is uh, and this is perhaps even less obvious: um, the the lockdown imposed isolation and anxiety over the past uh, fourteen or fifteen months. Uh, has caused many people to, uh, to be depressed. And uh, all of this, the isolation, the anxiety, the depression erode the body's natural immune system. And uh, an ingenious uh, clinical trial, controlled clinical trial that was performed some years ago found, quote, uh, gum chewing had consistent positive effects on mood during acute laboratory stressor. Um, the subjects who—that's uh, end quote. The subjects who chewed gum, quote, had significant better alertness uh, and reduced anxiety, stress, and salivary cortisol. End quote. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Uh, and also, the the gum chewers, as opposed to controls, did better on multitasking tests known to evoke stress. So, in a sense. It brings new meaning to the uh, the uh, cliche about um, walking and chewing gum at the same time. In, in other words, people who were chewing gum were better able to walk uh, than than those who were not chewing gum. So um, there there are a lot of simple things that can be done, including uh, chewing the gum, which is uh, cheap and readily available, and and also, for many of us, pleasant as well.
3: Oh,
1: super, super interesting. Um, I mean, who would have thought that something so simple could actually have um, such an impact? Now, we do have to go to commercial, but we'd love to chat with you for our next segment as well to build on that and some of the other regulatory questions, If you uh, if you don't mind joining us after the break.
2: I'd be delighted to.
1: And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. We are talking with Dr. Henry Miller, a physician and molecular biologist. He's a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute, a 15-year veteran of the FDA, and he was the founding director of the agency's Office of Biotechnology. Um, Dr. Miller, you just explained to our listeners how something so simple like chewing gum could could provide or chewing sugar free gum could provide some positive health benefits. Uh, super super interesting interesting subject. Is there anything else in your mind that is, that is like low hanging fruit like that that you can see where maybe we wouldn't immediately think that it would have positive a positive health impact, but it does.
2: Well, uh, the uh, the most obvious is. Uh, even with vaccination progressing very aggressively uh, in the U.S. and uh, in in parts of Europe, especially the U.K., uh, we really need to keep pressing on the uh, individual uh, health-promoting interventions, like physical distancing, wearing masks, avoiding crowds, and indoor venues. Uh, these all add up, and... Uh, for those of us who are being or have already been vaccinated, there's a temptation to throw off the yoke of these restrictions, of these uh, interventions, which range from uh, from annoying to uh, to debilitating. The latter being um, not being able to see loved ones and, and uh, visit uh, the, the elderly and, and grandchildren and so on. So. Um, it, it's primarily doing, continuing to do what we know works at a time when there's a temptation to, um, to give them up, to lighten the burden. And that's been particularly uh, evident. The, the illustration of that has been particularly evident uh, <clears throat> by, from the surges in cases and hospitalizations that occurred um, following Thanksgiving when people uh, got together, um, the Christmas, New Year's period, and um, now spring break. And uh, many public health officials, including um, just a few days ago, the um, head of the CDC was actually tearful and said that she was terrified that we were gonna have another surge uh even as we approach the the what we hope will be the end of the most severe uh, part of the pandemic as a as a result she said of uh people lightening up on on discipline and mm-hmm. celebrating at spring break
1: yeah i yeah, i mean that's that's super important to stress for our listeners is that it, we really we have to be vigilant until we do get to a point where um, we have vaccination rates at a level um, where we wouldn't see that surge because obviously that prevents uh, serious illness and, and the spread of the virus. I did want to just circle back with you quickly on the FDA and other public health bodies and the ongoing debate about AstraZeneca. Um, Because some countries have paused the vaccination, some uh, of the use of that vaccine, some have limited it or age restricted it. And some like the United States have not uh, or or have been slow to approve it. And I just wanted your take on that delay and some of the confusion um, and whether or not that's creating a scenario of vaccine hesitancy.
2: Uh, Undoubtedly, it it contributes to vaccine hesitancy, which, which of course, is um, people's reluctance, sometimes widespread in certain countries, uh, reluctance to uh, get the vaccine. Um, There's there's some confusion, though, about what constitutes delay. So, for example, um, some people have, have cited a delay in FDA's uh, authorization for emergency use of the AstraZeneca vaccine. But to my knowledge, AstraZeneca has not yet requested, uh, FDA's authorization. And, uh, so, um, for example, uh, another example of that was that the wall street journal editorialized in December that FDA was taking too long, uh, to, uh, authorize the Moderna vaccine. The Pfizer BioNTech vaccine came first, you'll recall, and then uh, um, Moderna was in the pipeline, Uh, but the the journal said that FDA uh, was taking too long. And I had a letter to the editor published in the Wall Street Journal that said, um, wait a minute, unless you have seen the application with the actual application for authorization, which, by the way, runs uh, into the hundreds of thousands of pages, um, you you can't tell. Uh, you don't know the quality of the data. You don't know whether there w- were problems with the uh, reporting of the data from the dozens of testing centers worldwide. And you certainly don't know the results of the inspections of the manufacturing facilities, which also can be spread all over the world, um, uh, or even whether the uh, inspections had yet been done by the various regulatory agencies. So um, it, it's very difficult in, in the abstract without knowing all of these uh, these elements of the uh, submission and, the, the, I should say, the testing, the submission and the approval of whether there's an undue delay or there isn't. Um, Now, getting back to the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine in particular, there have been a number of glitches, many of them self-inflicted by the company. Um, AstraZeneca is a huge pharmaceutical company, but they have meager experience with vaccines. And uh, there were some anomalies in the um, initial results uh, of the of the clinical testing and in fact anomalies in the clinical trial itself so the the way that the trial was supposed to proceed was with those several weeks later Uh, but um, there was a, a, a miscommunication and some of the patients some of the subjects in the clinical trial were given a half dose first and then several weeks later, the full dose and to everyone's astonishment that those who got the half dose and then the full dose um, were better protected than those who got two uh, doses of the full dose. So that was an accident and it, 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 it inspired a, uh, a lack of confidence in those of us who don't expect those sorts of errors in clinical trials conducted by a major uh, drug company. And then there was uh, some concern about uh, an abnormal pattern of clotting, blood clots in those who were uh, injected with the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine in certain parts of Europe. Uh, that turned out to be uh, probably a red herring, uh, and in any case, the benefits of the AstraZeneca vaccine certainly far, far outweigh any risks theoretical or or otherwise. Um, And uh, but uh, some regulatory agencies out of an abundance, perhaps an overabundance of caution, uh, put the AstraZeneca vaccine on pause. And in Canada. uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine alone has been restricted uh, to uh, people of, in certain age groups. Um, so we'll um, see how that sorts out, but all of the vaccines are certainly safe and effective.
1: Yeah, and in regards to the FDA being slow, I I think you raise a good point in terms of we don't really know whether like the Wall Street Journal um, letter to the editor that you pointed out maybe pokes some holes in some of the talking points. But would would my my kind of counter to that would would reciprocity not solve some of those? Um, those hurdles or issues, or or, or the, the caveat to that is, can we not use the UK as a real-world example of the use of AstraZeneca and its efficacy and safety? Because um, that kind of seems like, for, at least from my point of view, it should be something, whether we're talking about AstraZeneca or the other vaccines, where if it's in wide-scale use and we know it's safe, and another health body that is comparable to ours has approved it, I do feel like maybe, um, maybe there could be some time shaved off of that process to ensure that the doses we have sitting in freezers can get released and used immediately.
2: Well, uh, the, there are nuances there. Um, the, in the US, uh, none of the vaccines has been approved uh, in what might be called usual order uh these these are emergency use authorizations which um are not full approvals uh i don't know whether in foreign regulatory agencies uh there have been uh similar um uh, kind of conditional approvals uh or whether they were they were full approvals but your point is well taken and again in general uh, I believe that the um, the judgment of the A, other A-list regulatory agencies should suffice and, uh, and get things uh, moving, get products that are desperately needed available more widely.
0: We've been speaking with Dr. Henry Miller here on Consumer Choice Radio. We'll link to all of his different articles and uh, things that we've discussed throughout are, uh, two segments here. I guess we're very spoiled today. Uh, so you can also follow him on Twitter at Henry I. Miller. Dr. Miller, thanks so much for coming on the program.
2: Uh, delighted to be with you. I hope we'll do it again soon.
0: So a great interview with Dr. Henry Miller. I definitely learned a lot, uh, a lot of different topics we discussed. Not every day we get someone formally of the FDA on the program, someone who's actually been in the nitty-gritty of that health bureaucracy and understands a bit more about what's going on, Uh, but some very good insights and practical tips. And uh, Dr. Miller is actually very, very busy with his pen, as I mentioned, so we will link to all of his articles. Head on over to consumerchoiceradio.com. You guys can can, uh, read that. Hopefully, David, uh, you got some of your questions in. I know you had an entire pad of paper full of them that you wanted to ask him.
1: Yeah, and can we just for a second here, how refreshing is it that you have someone who spent their life in that field and in that agency who will openly say, oh, they move way too slow, they overreach, they, they act beyond what they're allowed to or what they're supposed to. Um, it is fantastic to hear people have that conversation because it's one that will ultimately save lives. Uh, not just in the pandemic, uh, outside of the pandemic, whether we're talking about cancer treatments or new innovative medicines. Um, so hopefully this can be the tip of the iceberg of uh, that much-needed reform for public health agencies like the FDA, Health Canada, uh, and comparable groups around the world.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's probably going to be uh, some reforms that are proposed in pretty much every country because uh, I think every single country is going to look back at the past year and say, we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but I think uh, those at FDA have been pretty glaringly obvious, and I think what we- should provide us with a good amount of room for figuring out how to reform it and how to change things. And uh, it's great to have Dr. Henry Miller on the program. I think uh, he gave us a lot of good nuggets. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll carry on with that. So, uh, David, it's been a pleasure being on uh, for the hour, and uh hope you guys... Stay safe. Uh, Continue listening to the program. Be sure to uh, stream online Thursdays at 1, saga960am.ca, also on bigtalkerfm.com. And I look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Yeah, until
1: next week, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check with Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Asosky and myself,
1: David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science. Tune
0: in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on consumerchoiceradio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at consumercradio myself at y-a-e-l-o-s-s and david at clement liberty and find our interviews on youtube and instagram just looking up consumer choice radio if there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we
1: should cover email us directly at hello at consumer thank you again for listening